The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. We've got a couple of crackers for you this week. Kelly from Block Party joins us to tell us what he's been up to, while Kieran interviews homegrown hip-hopper Ghost Poet. Plus, of course, Singles Club. All here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. And joining us in the studio this week is The Guardian's very own Michael Han. Michael, what is in the news this week? What's been going on? What's been happening? Well, for me, the news has been going to see My Bloody Valentine uh, uh-huh. playing at Hammersmith Apollo. It'll always be Hammersmith Odeon to me, just as My Bloody Valentine will always be the band fronted by Dave Conway singing Lovely Sweet Darlene. Eight people got that reference. I myself. know, I know, but you were one of them, Alexis. I am one of them. <laughs> um, uh, now, uh, was it a seated gig? I w- it was standing downstairs. I was seated upstairs. And, you know, actually seated kind of made sense. Although when they came to you made me realise sitting down did make it feel awfully as if you were sitting in a convertible jet plane taking <laughs> off so you can feel the noise but i i've never been in a gig where my entire seat was shaking wow. in the same way thankfully i was wearing good earplugs if you do were they giving them out on the door they, they, they were giving them out of the bars but I, right. I, I had taken my professional ah earplugs, right 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 okay okay which made a profound difference but um it's interesting since the last time i saw my bloody valentine I've seen um, more kind of extreme metal gigs. And what it reminded me more... Have you? What what extreme metal gigs have you seen? Well, it's not like I go every week, Alexis, but I'm I'm just about about to come to this. Um, But what it reminded me of more than anything was not indie bands or noise bands, but um, a band called Neurosis from San Francisco, one of the veterans of kind of fairly severe metal. Uh, Very similar in the sense that, you know, the band themselves are a vacuum, an inanimate object. Um, but it's all about the back projections, and it's about the cum- cumulative effect of the noise building up and transporting you mm-hmm. to another place. And did it did it sufficiently transport you? I was quite transported. I, I, I thought I thought literally because your seat <laughs> my seat my, my seat started on row D by the end of the show it was on row S. <laughs> What's uh, the audience like for My Bloody Valentine? Is like is it a mix of an age range or is it? There's younger older. people there. There, there. There are plenty yeah. of younger people there, but there are also, it must be said, quite a lot of older people there. And the other thing to say about My Bloody Valentine is a very gender-mixed audience. I mean, mm. you tend to think, oh, extreme noise, that'll be for the men folk, which that's all about stereotypes, really. I mean, My Bloody Valentine, of course, were a band with two women in them. A lot of women went to see them. And it was a really, it was a, it was a very interestingly mixed crowd, actually. Really good crowd. Very good. good. Very good show. Tell you what the week's been about for me. What's it been about, Alexis? There's a song on the new Justin Timberlake album called uh, Strawberry Bubblegum and I was listening to it at about two minutes in because every song on the new Justin Timberlake album goes on for about three months I don't know what so long. it's incredibly <laughs> long isn't it yeah. um, I was about three minutes into Strawberry Bubblegum when I realised with a yell of horror this was a song apparently about Justin Timberlake's wife's vagina <laughs> what what I, uh, what I mean it's a terrible metaphor years and years ago um, when I was working at the football magazine 442 I spent a week in David Bailey's studio (laughs) helping run this this shoot of people in football and um, a lot of photographs on the wall including a massive extreme close up of a vagina Wow! and Bailey said take a look at that that's my wife's fanny, that is. <laughs> I mean, oh, I no real way to answer that. On one level, oh, oh it's, it's very nice. Yeah. No, 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 it's I, a lovely ode, isn't it? I mean, on one level, you know, he's a young man, recently married, obviously kind of buffeted along on the currents of romance. And, you know, if he chooses to express 
that by writing an eight and a half minute song about his wife's vagina. It's just writing what he knows. Then, then, then so be it. I can't help think his wife might prefer him to express it to like a bunch of flowers or something like that, <laughs> um, rather than broadcasting to millions of people. It wasn't but, but, heart-shaped box about Courtney Love's vagina, though? Nothing's actually about a box. That's actually about a box. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally about a box. But haven't you written a 5,000-word piece a weekend about your wife's vagina coming sooner? Like I've never... I, I wouldn't... I can only begin to imagine... <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's very different if you're married to Jessica Biel or whatever, but I can only begin to imagine the scenario that would ensue. I, I've come, darling, how would you do at work today? Well, funny you should ask. I've recorded a song about your woohoo, and it's going to be on this album, and millions of people are going to hear it. He also refers to his, uh, his own uh, genitals on this track as resembling a uh, uh, blueberry lollipop. Right. Oh, please tell me he hasn't given his knob a name. No, I think it's more that if it looks like a blueberry... You're little saying, Justin, do you want to be <laughs> little Justin? I, I bet Justin Timberlake has got a nickname for his penis. Have you heard the Justin Timberlake album? Yeah. Do you like it? You're a yeah. fan, aren't you? Yes, I, um, I really liked it. I thought it was good. I thought it was like, a bit too long, and it was there weren't oh, consistent man. bangers, were there? There's but no I think bangers that, at all. No, there's what, there's no. one banger? I don't know, I there's think they're like of, uh, two slight, or three that uh, I liked. What's the one to get the groove up in here or something? I like that, but I also like Mirrors a lot, and I obviously like Seeing like Oh, you don't. I, I like Seeing Tie. Yeah. I think it's the best uh, record that Timberlake has made for a. V- uh, Timberland. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> best record that Timberland, let me say, not, not Timberlake, has made for. Uh, it's the best record. It's the only record Justin Timberlake's made for a long time. <laughs> but um, uh, Timberland, back back properly on, on top of his game, I think, on this album. Yep. The other music news thing that mildly interested me this week was uh, Nick Cave doing his. Um, his Q&A at the opening of South by Southwest, or South by, as everyone you meet in music calls it, South by. South by, I've never... I've never You're going to South, South by. Um, in which he was asked about uh, reviews of his records, and I think everyone who's ever written about music has some Nick Cave review story. Mm. Um, and he, he said that, yes, he does still read his reviews. He's now slightly ashamed of the fact that he reads all his reviews, but he does read them still. And um, the interviewer asked about uh, a one-star review of his new album in the New York Post by sometime Guardian writer Michelangelo Matos. And the startling thing was this time, Nick Cave didn't immediately pull out a selection of handguns and (laughs) machetes and say that he was going to pursue Michelangelo Matos to the ends of the world and chop up his body and send it in pieces to his parents. He contented himself with going, what kind of name's Michelangelo? Which seems like a bit of a, well, you know. a bit wet from Nick Cave. It's not that I think he should be killing people, but you would have thought a man of his um, age and intellect can think of something better than what kind of name is Michelangelo. I bet he could have thought. I bet if I give him a, you know, I bet he, I bet he left that talk and he went, "Oh no, what I should have said was, you know, I bet he, he had uh, a, a zinger, a zinger." Afterwards, I bet he was just sat there with Warren Ellis afterwards. And he went, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but I, I remember years ago, as a student journalist yeah, at university, writing a review of a Nick Cave album and then hearing back from a publicist. A publici- I didn't know really that publicists actually existed. I thought these records just arrived in our office by magic somehow. But I got a call from the publicist saying, yeah, Nick read your review. He didn't mind it. I think, my God, Nick Cave is reading student newspapers. That is a man <laughs> with too much scanning, time. Imagine scanning, you know. <laughs> that is absolutely mental. Um, any other music news? There's the Azealia Banks and Shiesty beef the other day. Azealia. And also she's, oh, now, she's now got a fight one with the Stone Roses as well. And Rita Ora. Yes, and Rita Ora. Yes, I mean, actually, her Twitter feed is quite entertaining read if you've got a few minutes. It's, it's, it's um, And the Vatican. Has she got a fight on with the Vatican? Ah, uh, probably. She will she, be by she, now. Uh, who did she have a fight on with? Oh, that guy, Bauer. Bar, or however you pronounce oh, it. Oh, yeah, he the of Harlem, Harlem Shake. Shake. Azealia Banks' beef is, is um, 
uh, on the verge of overshadowing her. That's been a fairly limited recorded <laughs> album. She's got a new track, hasn't she? Young, young Rapunzel. I don't know how to pronounce it. Young Rapunzel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it, I like the new track, but I think the album is just so long awaited. I don't know how. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if people still care. She wants to spend. I got, this isn't going to work on air. I used to have an editor, and if uh, when I worked at Mixmag, and if he thought you were talking too much, you'd go, Alexis, little less of this, a little bit more of this. <laughs> you know, and that's that's, um, that's what you should do. But that's not going to work on air. It's a visual joke on the podcast. Is, is, that, is that the same as Guardian editors who are awaiting a piece of copy from you, Alexis, and then start scanning Twitter to see whether you're active there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is nothing like Alexis, how come your copy's so late if you're on Twitter all morning? Like <laughs> displacement. I, I reached the pinnacle of displacement activity on Twitter last week uh, on Monday night or whatever. I was supposed to be reviewing the John Grant album. And... Uh, I found myself engaging in basically a conversation that went on for two hours with Danny Baker on Twitter about the band who were on Rainbow before Rod, Jane and Freddie, who are a group called Telltale. They're actually very good. I, and you, you put the song into... It's a great record. Did you, did you have a listen? you listened to. I'm, I'm afraid beautiful. I didn't. It's a beautiful song. Beautiful song. Anyway, look, this is all very boring. That's all the news. This time last year, it looked like it might all be over for Block Party. But after a three-year break, various side projects and rumours of a split, they suddenly got it together last summer and brought out a fourth album called Four. So, what's next for them? Leading a Kelly came in to talk to Mark Barrows. been out for what six months now isn't it yeah it's had time to bed in you've been touring with it you've been living with it how do you feel about it now how do you feel kind of in comparison to your other work and and how it's kind of gone down are you happy with how it all, all turned out yeah i mean i'm definitely happy with how it turned out i'm happy with how it sounded i'm happy that we that we were able to get the sound from you know from inside our heads um you know we, 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 we were able to get that sound down uh, and record it in the way that, that we wanted. There's nothing that, you know, usually when you make a record, you find after, you know, after like six months, you start to get a little bit bored of it. And, but you know, and, and after a year, you kind of hate it and you want to do something else. Or, you know, usually, that's what I find. But with this record, I still enjoy listening to it. You know, listen, it's not to say that there are some things, there are some things that I find a little bit hard about it. But, you know, but overall, I think it's one, it's the one that I'm most proud of so far. When you sort of, when you reassembled and kind of got back into a room to make it, um, did you plan to do this kind of big, heavy sounding rock record? In places it verges on metal, which which I love about it. Mm. Um, Was that always something you wanted to do? Was that a conscious decision to react against the last record or did it kind of evolve that way as you did it? You know, I think it was a combination of things. I think that we wouldn't have been able to have made such a direct rock record, I I feel, if I hadn't made a record by myself, like The Boxer, which was a holy kind of electronic record you know I felt after that process I needed to do the opposite I needed to you know I, I was really craving to do the opposite and it and it just seemed to make sense you know we hadn't made music together for you know for a long time for a few years and 
there was a lot of energy that we wanted to expend, I think, and it just came out with that record, you know. I, I don't know if the future records will be like that, but it just seemed to make sense then. How uh, did you find making like, a solo record in comparison? Did you, what did you learn from doing that that you were able to bring to to this one? I learned lots of things, really. I um, You know, it was a very important period, I feel, in making The Boxer and, and The Hunter. It was the first time that I'd being creative outside of block party it was the first time i'd worked with someone really um uh, outside of the three other members of, of the band that i'd been that i'd been in a band with since i was like in my late teens so so to me you know it was very illuminating working with someone from a very different musical background who who was challenging me challenging me constantly on things like phrasing and songwriting and you know, and ways to you know, ways to express yourself. Uh, uh, you know, it's something that I'm still piecing together. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think I, I learned a lot in in that period. When you were writing lyrics, do you approach writing lyrics for for the band in a different way to how you approached it to your solo stuff? Well, I mean, it's hard because all of the records, are, to me, all, all of them, are, I've approached them quite differently. With um, with this record, with four. You know, I wanted to carry on the process that I had started with the boxer of just not writing anything down until I was actually in the studio. You know, they're not being um, like pages and pages of things that you were trying to you were trying to kind of cram into a song. Uh, you know, I wanted to just to respond to what the music was suggesting, and that was something that I for, that was something that I tried for the first time with the boxer, and, and and it felt good, and it felt like it would be good to carry that process through. That's the way you've. Uh that you've kind of the process of writing songs as a band changed much across across the years and then after that gap in the beginning it very much felt like a competition when the four of us would get into the room to write music it would it felt like we were all trying to outdo each other um which i think made for uh, like an interesting tension sometimes but but when i think back to our previous you know our first two records to me there's a lot of there's a real lack of restraint there that makes it hard to me to listen to those records for for that reason. But I feel now we understand how songs work. You know, it's not about it's not always about firing on, on all cylinders I mean, at all times. You know, you know you have to be selective. Stuff from four was almost designed to work well live. It sounds like they they're really they're big driving rock songs. Um, has it gone over well? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I I was w- w- with intimacy. The last, you know, the third rep block party record. We we wrote a lot of that just completely in the studio. So there was a big, you know. So when the record was done, we had to then um, work out how we were going to play it live, and you know, and. You know, and I don't think it always worked in, in places. But so with this record of four, I was really conscious that you know we'd have to build everything from the ground up. There'd be no relying on you know tricks or things outside of the performance. That you know we'd know if something was working whilst we were writing it because of the way that we were feeling. You know, whilst we were playing it, 
and I, I wanted to really rely on that. So, so I think you're right. I think that this, I'm still now a lot of these songs from Four, they they have a very kind of kinetic energy that that. I'm just I'm just glad that we were able to you know that, that we were able to get them out right and we can play them to people because it's kind of undeniable. Having made a record that is such a reaction against the one you made before, because the intimacy is very kind of it's like almost a headphones record, mm. very kind of intense and detailed, and then you come back with an with still quite a detailed record, but it's yeah. but it's a, you know a much heavier, much live, more live sounding record. And after there being such a gap between them, did yeah. you worry that maybe there'd be a fan base that would have moved on and wouldn't be sort of as interested as they were? No, I mean I've never worried about that, that sort of thing. With every record that you put out, you, you know, you, you know, you lose fans, but you gain fans at the same time. And to be honest, I've never really worried about fans and uh, and, and 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 that sort of thing. You know, you've just got to try and make the best record for you. And you know, and if anyone likes it, it's a bonus. You know, you know, there was never ever, there was never any guarantee when we started that. We'd become as successful as we were, so I'm I'm, I'm constantly reminded that you, that you just have to follow your your own instincts when it comes to that sort of thing. And have you talked much about where it's going to go next? What the next record could sound like? No, we haven't really spoken about anything like that at all. We we have started writing and we did did some recording. Um, so I think there's going to be some new music out this year. I don't know in what capacity, um, but we haven't really started speaking about. Like the next step, and I, and I, I don't think that would be so, and I don't think maybe speaking about it would be so um, healthy. I think, I think the trick is to just, you know, respond to what you're feeling, you know, respond to what's there at the time, and the the best way to express yourself is to just be in the moment at the time. So, you know, when we do sit, sit down to start writing the next record, I think it will just be a very easy thing, you know. Um, and I suppose talking about how much you can reveal and talk to the press before a round came out. When you were in the middle of making the last album, you managed to effectively convince <laughs> the entire music world you were splitting up. Yeah. Do you feel that kind of backfired at any point? No, I mean, I wasn't really aware of it at the time. It was something that my manager told me afterwards that like it was becoming like a big deal because I always make stuff up in interviews uh, or, or I always did in the past. You know, it was no... I was assuming people knew that I was I was joking, so I didn't know it was such a big deal until afterwards because I was living in the states. I was living in New York, so I didn't really see anything. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I uh, I think it was quite a funny image, you know, of me skulking around, you know, uh, uh, spying on them. I, I thought that was quite a funny image, so I was quite proud proud of that at least. Can we believe anything you say? Yeah, I mean, I think I think now that I don't know, and now that everyone knows that I would occasionally embellish things, there's been less of an incentive to make stuff up. Um, it's not really funny. That's why I told you I'm trying to be more honest now in, in interviews.
That was Mark Barrows talking to Kelly Okereke from Block Party. Their new digital only EP, Truth, is out now. Let's crack on with Singles Club. First up is my choice. That's the new single from Britney Spears and Will I Am. We're all up in the club. Um, actually, I'm only joking. It's uh, Rachel Zafira here on in the Tom Furs extrapolation. So, Rachel Zafira uh, is, was, presumably still is, the singer in Cat's Eye. Uh, who were um, Faris Badwan uh, from the Horrors side project? She put a solo album out at the end of last year, which seemed to go out, sort of be released um, almost without notice. I didn't really see it reviewed anywhere. It's a really, really, really good record. Um, I don't know why it got so widely ignored. Amazing cover of "To Hear Knows When" by My Bloody Valentine on it, done in a sort of like folky style, um, very well. Um, and I brought this in partly because I really like this remix. Very long, sort of psychedelic version of the uh, the current no, not even the current single but from the album track here and, and also because I think it's worth drawing attention to Rachel Zafira and to her album which is one of those records that I think if more people heard uh, they would enjoy if people were able to hear it if people got to hear it or knew about it they would enjoy a very long winded description Michael I, I think listeners should be warned on that clip they just heard they might be forgiven for thinking well they picked the wrong bit because surely it's going to go into the singing and the chorus in a minute no, it doesn't. No. It just does that for 5 minutes, 49 seconds. Indeed. Um, it's very deep. It's very <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm very deep or it's very it's deep. It's very deep. <laughs> well, you're very deep as well. <laughs> um, it, it is hypnotic. I know it's no... Co- well, My Bloody Valentine last night, yes, I found myself thinking many of the same things with a much quieter volume while listening to this. But as a piece of recorded music, I did want it to do something. Anything, you're not, you're not really. Enough. Well, the thing is, I th- that's the kind of thing that actually, I mean, we've had these kind of conversations before. It works over 45 minutes when you have time to immerse mm, yourself, but mm. at five minutes, actually, there's just not enough. So you're actually saying it's not long enough? I'm saying it's not long enough. It's not that it doesn't do enough. <laughs> you actually listen to it and you thought, what this needs what? is like another 40. It needs that Justin Timberlake you, album approach, you, well, where you, every song has like eight minutes stuck on the end that it doesn't need. If, if you're going to be all about repetition and just slight builds and increments, then you need to turn it into an almighty bloody drone. You can't just say, yeah, here's a few minutes of it. Here's the pop version yeah, about all the radio Trump. edit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I do think, actually, the longer it went on, I would have enjoyed it more and more and more, as opposed to finding myself thinking, get on with it, son. You should just listen to it twice. Let's <laughs> <laughs> create a loop, really. <laughs> um, Kieran, what did you make of this? Yeah, um, I totally disagree. I think it was really good. Hey. Hey, I really liked it. I like that you kind of feel suspended in the air with it almost, and it's got all of that ethereal, dreamscapey, whatever stuff going on, which is what you would assume from a track that's five minutes long with no vocal and lots of <laughs> lots of those kind of sounds in it. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it. It felt like it was sort of filled with tension, but it was quite delicate at the same time. And mm. I like I like that element of it. But also, I feel like that's the I don't know. That's the hallmark of a really good remix where you can't where you are sort of aware of the point of reference a little bit, but not so much. Like you know, I wouldn't 
wouldn't necessarily been able to realise that that was a remix of no, no, the no, original. Because no, no. when I heard it, I was like, whoa, this is completely different. But yeah. that's just what I like about a good well, remix. I think that's why it's called an extrapolation rather than remix, isn't it? Because he has, he's taken no more than a germ and turned it into... Yeah, something completely. It's got that of kind of own. druggy haze thing about it, which I think works really well because when you have remixes, that you can feel the vocal loop just like looped and loop with a bass line that's shifted or something. Mm. I mean, it's it's quite an obvious remix. It doesn't feel like it's making you think too much or working too hard, making you work too hard. Um, and I like remixes like this where you feel like you don't really know the point of reference, but when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's clever. I think it's, I think I, I really like it. I mean, it's, it's sort of, uh, I, I had it on in the background when I was doing some work. It seemed very hypnotic. It added a sort of a calm and a chill to the room, uh, which I quite like. Rachel Zafira's Here On In, uh, the Tom Furze extrapolation, is around about now on the internet. Next up, Kieran's Choice. for these times Kieran's Choice tell us about this track yes that's a new track from Fortet this actually appeared on uh, a non-plus compilation which is the name of Bodica's label uh, to celebrate their fourth anniversary their fourth birthday um, and I am a big Fortet fan I think Kieran Hebden is really great not only because he has a great name obviously um, <laughs> but you know he ha- he, he Hebden kind of <laughs> like Hebden Bridge yeah exactly mm. uh, you know he, he this has got loads of that kind of Chicago house uh, influences it sounds very relevant sounds like what clubs sound like at the moment where the house tempo just dominates a lot of club culture sounds like he's he's taken something from Theo Parrish and mm. maybe even a little bit uh, from Bicep uh, th- those kind of sounds work really well with his sort of tribal elements as well. Um, I, I really like him. I feel like his remix albums are the best things. The Late Night Tales one that he did, I don't know when, a few years ago. That was one of my favourite things uh, because I think that he does this quite well and he takes you on this journey. You don't feel like you're hearing the same thing, which I do get a bit with House when it feels quite samey-samey. Um, but but he, I mean, this is house music, you know, I mean, for the benefit of any of our listeners who don't know Fortet's work, I mean, house music is a very, is one thing that he yeah. does. He does all sorts of other yeah, stuff totally. as well. And you can't really predict um, what his next record, you know, what he's going to sound like from one record to the next. Yeah, so that's, but that's why I thought it was relevant. This is, I mean, this track is called For These Times and, you know, mm. it sounds like club culture at these times. And he's also done garage remixes and grime remixes. Mm. And, you know, he did um, that burial um, collaboration, collaboration yeah. is it with Tom York, I think. Yeah. And you know, and so I think that he's just really forward-looking. He always sort of seems to get it right. He did that uh, thing at Brixton Academy where it was like an all-nighter, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, oh god, how, like I like him, but could you handle Fortet all night? Was long? he just DJing for the whole thing? Yeah. Wow. It was great. Was it really good? Yeah. Um, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's brilliant. Uh, it's, it's a deep house record. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's that. That's what it amounts to. It's a deep house record. It's a very good deep house record. Um, it's got a nagging. Uh, vocal sample. I really like the bass line, um, which isn't sort of an obvious kind of funky bass line at all. Um, but it's it's sort of lots of things that I like about house music. Um, and, you know, I mean, uh, it's interesting you say it's the sound of club culture now because it's certainly, uh, you could have played this at, um, I don't know, 
what was the name of that club basement Jacks ran at the, in Brixton in the late 90s? Anyway, he could have played that mm. there uh, and it would have fitted in perfectly with what was going on. Um, but, you know, he's got a, uh, a real understanding of what makes a good house record and that's a really good house record. I, I like Fortet generally. I think he's a sort of, a sort of force for good mm-hmm. within music. He seems to be just, a, a, you know, capable of doing uh, pretty much what he wants and getting any genre to sort of bend to his will a bit. Um, so, yeah, um, yes, two thumbs up. Although he did upload that suit and tie remix, is that uh, really yesterday, bad? Yesterday, and when it got taken down by Justin by just Timberlake's people, yeah, was it any good? Did you hear it before? We got no, I don't even hear it. So if anyone did, could you tell me how it was? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know how to do that. Um, <laughs> Guardian.co.uk forward slash Music Weekly. If you heard Quartet's suit and tie remix, uh, Michael, I liked it. Hey, despite Yay. the fact that uh, again, it's another song that doesn't really actually go anywhere. It just is. But is. See, this actually is deep. You would actually describe this music as deep. I, I would describe this. Well, you deep. describe the music it as is, deep, deep. And, and I will trust you on that. Um, a lot of deep music this week. Uh, but I, I think it's it's the addition of the, the pulse, the rhythm, yeah. that the, that it brings it into the musical frame of reference that, that works more for me. I mean, right, you say deep house, but actually, of of course, I'm not disputing it is Deep House, deep but house. but the, the the what it brings to me, mind to me, is you know the motoric end of Krautrock mm-hmm. because it is unrelenting. It just ploughs on and on and on. And also, and that's on. you know I think that's probably a fair comparison given that you know Kieran Hebden's uh, roots are in post rock, are in mm. the uh, the band Fridge, yeah, um, which was in with Ar- was it Arden was in Fridge as well, wasn't he? Yes. Yes. I'll trust you on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I can. I think that's a that's a useful. But comparison. but but um, no no. I th- I I really enjoy. Again, it's another thing that actually I could have listened to for longer and longer and longer. I could have cheerfully gone on with this for fifteen or twenty minutes. Um, and it, it. But what I like about things like this is they work both as dance music and as listening music. Headphone house. Headphone mm-hmm. house, which uh, I, I find it's not a genre as you know that uh, occupies enormous amounts of space on mm. my record shelves. But whenever I hear it, I think, oh, I should listen to more of this stuff. Although Fortet scares me slightly because uh, his dad complained bitterly about the fact that The Guardian did not review his last album, which was self-released with mm. no profile. I don't think it was a publicist or anything. We had no idea it was coming out. No, I out. didn't know it had come out. No, uh, no, no. Heaven's dad said, well, well it, isn't that your job? On the one hand, yeah, I see your point. On the other... There are so many albums coming did, out every how week. Get how did Kieran Hebden, did he come in? No, Kieran Hebden's dad, no, he got involved on, on a, a thread. I think it was beneath the Guardian's album of the year thread. It might right. have been, I'm not sure. Right. I, can't, I can't remember exactly, but there was a, I, I, I engaged with him trying to explain the, the commissioning process for, record, for, for album reviews, but he was having none of it. He's, he's a proud father. And why not when That's his son is thing, that talented? isn't it? Mm. Fortet's dad. Going in studs up on the Guardian thread. I love that. That's brilliant. Um, so, Fortet, for these times, who's, who's, this came out on a compilation, you said? Yeah, a non-plus compilation. I okay. think uh, you can find it on the internet. I'm sure you can find it on the internet if you look hard enough, but make sure you pay for it. Um, finally, let's have Michael's Choice. Dream, I dream to you Because you you poison my sleep And she She thinks it cold On the doctor's sofa You left me cold That is Casual Sex That's the group That's called Straw 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 Straw, Straw, Straw I don't know Straw Straw 80 
I don't know. Whatever, whatever. Casual sex. Amazing name for a band. Um, Tell us about them. They are Scottish. Uh, They used to be another group whose name I have now completely blinking forgotten. Another group who weren't terribly interesting from a couple of years ago. Very poor. I've completely forgotten who they were, Mm. but there you go. It doesn't really matter, though. That's the point, because casual sex is the interesting thing. We're not about the past. We're all about the here and now. What I like about this record, first, it is a song. You know that I am a conservative and I like songs. Mm -hmm. Two, um, it's not completely conservative in that respect, however. I mean, you, you... those who remember Postcard Records will listen to this and raise an eye, eyebrow with uh, their familiarity with everything that's happening in this record. But it's I like the way it's frayed around the edges. So there you've got the acoustic guitar, Kang at all. The electric guitar on top keeps distorting and blurring in and out of focus in a very appealing way. I like the almost laconic drone of the singer. I love hand claps. Hand yeah. claps mm. on records are the most amazing thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, no, that's great. Yeah. I, I agree. I was going to say I was going to mention the hand claps. We, we, we all owe the Beatles an enormous debt of, of gratitude for. Um, no, I can't remember the name of the Blinking Beatles single. How appalling is that? I want to hold your hand. The hand claps on that, which is the template for everything great in pop music. No, there's, um, no, no, no. There's, there's hand claps like that on before. I want to hold your. I hand. don't think there are hand claps that good, to be honest. I, I think, think you'd those find are. I'm looking at a girl group record. I reckon you'd find Ooh. some. some oh, I don't before, know. before, before, before. Yeah. Okay, let's move on from the hand and claps. That's, but we we agree that the hand claps are a good thing. Um, but what what I'm really liking about music at the moment is that barely a week goes by without a guitar group single arriving. I think that's pretty good, and it's it's a long time hmm. since I, I felt like that. It feels like there's been. For a long time, the, the divide in what we might think of as indie, as trad indie, was between real landfill crap and you know blog chasing, yeah. navel gazing, stare at the ceiling and don't engage with the tunes or the audience stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we seem to have got a generation of bright young musicians at the moment who think, actually, I do want to make songs and I want to make songs that aren't just you know lads with their, sh- their arms around each other's shoulders at the end of the night in the pub stuff. And we're getting a load of, yeah, not madly intellectual, but, but records that are clever and sharp and spunky mm-hmm. and I think are all to be encouraged. And there's just a wave of them at the moment. I don't know if any of these groups are necessarily the, the rallying point around which the future of the guitar no, will no. be secured. But there's a lot of good stuff. And if you look beyond the headlines, so many of the headlines are concentrated on just you know, Palmer Violets and a handful of other groups, Savages. But there's loads of stuff around the margins. and But not so marginal that you have to you know make some terrific effort to find it it's coming out all the time and i'm really excited about guitars at the moment i like this uh, enormously this record um i thought it reminded me a bit of um the modern lovers yeah um it reminded me a bit of a sort of junk shop glam record there was part of me that thought this could have come out on you know bell in 1974 or something like that and i really like that the hand claps i really like i like people singing in affected voices i think that's 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 a good thing to do when you're young um, and uh, yeah, I just thought it was good. I just generally thought it was good. I didn't think of it as much of a, as a, like a postcardy thing, like you're saying. But I sort of see what you mean. Joseph K. I thought rather than orange. Um, but I mean, also more that kind of uh, had a touch of that kind of post teenage fan club, slightly more bubblegummy mm. than teenage fan club Scottish bands about it. Um, I liked it enormously, Kieran. Yeah. Mm. Nah. <laughs> I didn't I like know it. that. Yeah. I didn't like it, but. Uh, I what my favorite thing was his affected voice. Mm. Like I quite liked that assertive, like playful, theatrical thing. Um, I just, I mean, this music generally feels irrelevant to me just because I'm not so up on it, and it's definitely not part of my world. And I do try really hard to uh, kind avoid of, it. To avoid it, yeah. Um, just because it feels, I don't know, it just feels like 
irrelevant and sort of utterly pretentious. And I can't believe that they're in their 20s because it just sounds, it doesn't sound young. It doesn't really sound like vibrant or youthful well, to I, me. I think that, I mean, this, this... And I know that like, you know, youth isn't ubiquitous and it isn't only like going out and dancing. You know, this idea of like going out and dancing in the club, it, you know, represents the youth experience or whatever, or like young experience. I, I, think I know that, I but think, this does not feel I like... I think there is a tendency uh, for people, all people, to assume that what they like or... The taste certainly that they had when they were younger are the tastes that all young people have. And it's, you know, it's kind of just not true. For all the guitars have been dead, you know, obviously I go to quite a lot of guitar gigs mm. and I always see tons and tons of kids at them. You know, these people have not, they've not said, no, actually, I only like dance music now. Mm. Uh, just as when indie was at the most popular, clearly tons and tons of kids were still going to, to clubs. You know, uh, <laughs> I think really, you know, it's all about what tickles your taste buds. And if, mm. if this stuff doesn't appeal to your kids, there's not a problem with that. Just as, you know, your sweary, shouty hip-hoppers, <laughs> they're never going to appeal to me. And I, I've reached the point in my life where I've stopped worrying about that. I just know that is a fact of life. And there's, there's no point getting distressed about it. Totally. But I do feel like this isn't as fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't listen to this. And I, was, I wasn't like, oh, this is such a fun, this is so fun. Like, God, I want to be in this world. I want to be their mate. So I was really like, oh, God. I'd quite like to be their mate. They really? Sound all right. They sound all Alexis, right I've got to read you this quote. I think right? it sounds like fun. I think it sounds like terrific fun, this record. Paul Lester did, like, this new band of the day and, and then uh, about this track. And then, <laughs> and then, but it wasn't his quote. It was a quote from them. And it was, and he said that the track was about being caught doing the nasty with your girlfriend's pal in the aftermath of a drug party on the fo- on the floor of a local occultist. And I just thought that is such a pretentious doesn't sound, way. Doesn't sound to like what it's, what no. it's Describe but, your record. Yeah, like, but, it's so pretentious. Uh, yeah, well, come on. New, musicians always say pretentious. No, that is far more records. contrived. Like ASAP Rocky's not saying that about his tunes. He's saying it's fine because it's. No, 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 no. In fact, as ASAP Rocky thought that his album was going to create world peace. Do you not think that is slightly <laughs> more pretentious than? Making up some like, cockable story. <laughs> Let's just be. There, there was some like absolute load of old balls. That yeah, but I think he's in on the joke, isn't he? Do you I, not think I, they're I on the? I genuinely don't think that they believe their record sounds okay. like you know bad post-drug sex on an occultist floor. Okay. I think they're saying something. What can we say that some journalist will pick up on? I know. Okay. As musicians have done down the decades. I think it's your uh, duty to say things like that as a musician. Yeah. I think it's important that yeah. you say things like that. I think it's important that you say stupid things uh, and pretentious things if you're in a band. I think that's a really good thing. What to we do. Or even anybody. I mean, I'm not. I'm not having to go ASAP Rocky for saying his album's going to create world peace or whatever it was. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing to do as well. I think that's exactly how one should carry on. Uh, the one thing I don't want to hear is it's all about the music. J- mm. Jake Bugs' endless refrain. Of, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a lad that writes tunes. I'm just a lad that writes tunes. It's like, oh yeah, all right. Um, so okay, well, um, uh, two, two, two liked it. One didn't. Um, that is, is it coming out? Stro eighty, Stro eighty. Um, I got, yeah, it must be coming Straight out. I, I got sent a promo of it the other day, and they're, they're playing some gigs. They're playing at the Boardline in London before soon. I think I will pop down and have a look at them. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, they're, they're, I'm sure you. Could, I'm sure they've got a... What do you have nowadays? It's not a MySpace site, is it? <laughs> um, they, they've got three tracks on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. They're, 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 uh, this track plus the B-side and another song are on SoundCloud. Fantastic. We'll go to SoundCloud and check them out on that Singles Club. <laughs> Ghost Poet came out of nowhere, well, Coventry, a couple of years ago with his album Peanut Butter Blues and Melancholy Jam. Made in his bedroom, it got him signed to Giles Peterson's Brownswood label and bagged him a Mercury nomination. With a new album on the way, we caught up with Ghost Poet to talk all about it. Hi. How you doing? 
All right, not too bad, mate. Not nice. too bad. You have got the new album. How are you feeling? I mean, you must be kind of, it's all been tried and tested. You've done it with your debut, so. Yeah, I feel quite chilled out about it in a sense. It's not like the first time where you're like sitting up your store and trying to get, you know, customers of, of any kind of sort to come and, you know, test your wares. But also off the back of being critically acclaimed and a Mercury nomination, that's got to help the confidence a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I kind of like, I made the album my way, how I wanted to make it. And as always, I hope people will listen to it. If they don't, they don't. It's not, you know, I can't kill myself over, over such things. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, innit? So how long has the space in between been? Um, It's been about two years, about two years since the last album came out. And um, luckily through, you know, people wanting to listen to it and talk about it, I was able to gig it and travel and really get my music out to a lot of people. So it doesn't feel like two years. It's only, you know, when we were looking at release dates and blah, blah, blah. Now I was like, wow, it has been two years since the last one. And so it's been good fun. It's been really a, a learning experience for me. And I think that um, Peanut Butter, the debut album, was like, it was very timely. It felt very relevant. It felt like it reflected a, a kind of melancholy that we were hearing in electronic music at the time. You know, this kind of, you know, an, an almost urban narrative telling stories about what you could see. And even in two years, I think that things have shifted again, haven't they? And we're in a sort of a different musical climate. As they do in life, you know, everything always changes, it never stays the same. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks for that, Kieran. Appreciate that. And that's it. was very nice. Thank you. Um, it's a case of, um, yeah, man, things have changed. You know, me, I've always written about my life. Well, not, not directly, but it's very much about the life that I lead and the world around me as I see it. And things have changed in my life, in, and, in it and around it. And I wanted that to be reflected in the music that I make, lyrically and musically. So, yeah, it's definitely a a change of sorts. How has the sound developed? It's definitely more of, it's more mature, I would say. It's okay. like, it's helped that I now make music full time. Mm-hmm. And before I was still holding down a job and trying to do the music in the evenings and stuff. And now I can do it, luckily I can do it all the time. So on the first album, I know you're holding down the day job at the same time, but it sounded like that. It kind of mm. sounded like your interior monologue mm. as life was happening around you mm. right, while you were in the office, while you were on the tube. Mm. But because your life has changed, do you still have that? I mean, is it still oh, kind of... Well, in the sense of, you know, public transport, I still, you know, very much love TfL and, mm. and all talk forms of transport providers. So I big still... Up the I still line. Big up, big up. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's, it's a case of I still very much... I have my feet on the ground. I still do the same things I was doing before. In a sense of when I say my life has changed, it's a case of people are more aware of my music now. When mm. before it was, you know, me and my dog. It was just now it's like people know what I'm about and I guess there is some kind of expectation in a sense of what, what am I going to come with next. And, um, you know, I feel I had to change musically and, and, and mentally, physically, everything else because that's what life's about. I have to keep trying to evolve and develop myself so mm-hmm. it reflects in the music that I make.
Okay, so tell me a little bit about the, your process of working on the new album. Okay, um, well, through the course of the f putting out the first album and touring and stuff like that, I was very much of the mind that I still wanted to keep creating music, not this tour, 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 tour. I wanted to try and at least get ideas down and stuff like that. So I, I was putting down little ideas and not developing, developing them, but it's almost like stockpiling them, this kind of like stuff that I'll get back to when I had a bit more time. So after once the, the kind of the album cycle had almost finished and I moved to Dalston, I ended up living in a room which had an upright piano in the room This as part of the package. Mm. So I, I started developing the ideas that I'd started on my laptop through this piano and they're starting to record melodies down and develop these ideas to a certain level. And then it came down to a signed with PS and it was a case of working out how to put this album together. So it was kind of worked out that I'd work with Richard Formby who's worked with like The Wild Beasts and uh, Egyptian Hip Hop and Dark Star. And then we ended up, for, I first went up to Leeds and developed them a bit further there in his home studio, then took it down, back down to London. We were in South Bermondsey for about three weeks, just working in the studio, which which was alien to me because I'd been in studios for one-off like situations, but the first album was just in a spare bedroom in Coventry. So the studio working process was really eye-opening for me mm -hmm. because I was able to immerse myself in creativity for a good period of time. It was a really fun, really, really fun process. Do you still feel very much aligned with that South London environment, or that South London movement of Mikachu and David Kumu and even you know, David no, things? because I don't think anyone would class it as a movement or a collective or anything like that. Okay. We've all kind of come from through the old MySpace days and, you know, kind of... Is that a place where you found a lot of those initial collaborations on MySpace and then reaching out to people and then f seeing that you had things in common or... Yeah, back in the day, that was like, the, that was because I was in Coventry when I kind of discovered MySpace and it was, the, it was the best place to network before I even really knew what networking was. It was kind of just reaching out, trying to find people, music that I liked and then realizing, oh, I can send a message to this person and you know, how did you make that or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, so a lot of it's been via that um, and then friends of friends and then it just kind of grows, as you know, organically, really. Mm. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Mercury uh, nomination and yeah. that whole experience. Cause it's mad. I'm, oh yeah, I'm fascinated by that. It's mad, man. From every interview I did at the time, I still believed that I, did, I didn't want to win it. Mm. I wanted to, I was happy to be nominated and potentially the... the, the you know, what I could get from that, the doors that potentially could be open from being nominated. And yeah, it was a great night. I had a nice meal and I had, a, had some nice wine. And then it was only like a couple of seconds when he opens, just about to open an envelope, and he's like, and the winner is. And before that, I was like, oh, I don't care if I win it, I don't care, I don't care. But then you're like, yeah. I got Maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can win it. And uh, it wasn't me, and I was cool. And, and then the camera pans to your screw face. <laughs> no, I had, I had, to, I planned it. I, I, I had, I watched a few, you know, award ceremonies, and I've practiced it in the mirror. That I kind of like, I'm really happy, even though I'm really, you know, annoyed. Mm -hmm. But no, no, I was, I was very happy to, to be there, you know. So it was good. It was really good, and it's like. It's like having a musical knighthood. It's just Mercury nominee, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's cool. It's really cool. But it's kind of... And it stays with you. It stays with you. Mm. But I'm very, I was very much 
the next day, like, I've just got to move on from this. It's, it's a great accolade, but I've got to be defined for a career, not just a, an, an award, you know, so. But you have yeah. moved on. So the, yeah, the new so. single, Meltdown, mm. which is out soon. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Meltdown uh, features Woodpecker Williams from Brighton. <laughs> And it's, um, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a love story. It's a, the end of a love story, mm-hmm. and it's um, a tune. Like a lot of the tunes on the record, it's very much a misdirection type thing. Where musically, it's very kind of like upbeat and bright and alive, mm-hmm. but the actual subject matter is quite dark. Um, and yeah, it was a great tune to make. The situation why it came about anyway with Woodpecker being on it is because I had another guest focus in, in mind, but she decided at the last minute that she couldn't do it. Mm. So we literally done like a, a like a YouTube search of potential singers on the day of the recording. <laughs> we only had like two days left. <laughs> and I was like, I need to find someone like this. And then I just found her via YouTube. And um she was doing a gig, luckily, in, in London that day. So she was coming up to London, and it was a case of, we sent her the track to say, right, have a listen. If you like it, come down to the studio and potentially record it. And she couldn't get it to work on her phone, and she was like, I'm just gonna come down and do it. So she came down, spent half an hour, 45 minutes, done wow. it, and left, and that was it. And really just, just strange, like just like that. What's next for you? What's, next, what's up? Next, we're just doing starting starting the the ball the ball is starting to roll now um got a tour coming up in may first half is going to be in germany second half is going to be in the uk Mm. going around the country playing stuff from the record and hopefully you know people will like it and i could play some more and we'll see how it goes Ghost Poet there, talking to Kieran, and Ghost Poet's second album, Some Say I, So I Say Light, will be released on the 6th of May. That's it for this week. Uh, our thanks, obviously, to Kelly and Ghost Poet. Um, uh, my thanks to Michael Hamm. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you, Kieran. We'll be, we'll be back uh, next week. Kieran. Yeah. As ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, check out guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly for more information on the show and to leave any of your comments. See you next week. Bye-bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.